Well, this morning, I would like to turn with you to what I feel for myself, at least as a sometimes neglected book of Numbers, and to the chapter we read a moment ago, chapter 10, and taking for our consideration today the opening 10 verses of the chapter, Numbers 10, and verses 1 down to verse 10, as the Lord enables us. And this section of Numbers gives us the instructions on how to use the two silver trumpets that were specially constructed for use by the priests, the sons of Aaron. These silver trumpets were thought to have been about a cubit long, just about half a meter long. And they had a mouthpiece at one end for blowing into, and a bell, a horn at the other to amplify the sound. Uh, and they were made of pure silver. The two trumpets were used uh, first by the two uh, sons of Aaron, although later there seems to be a dramatic increase in the number of uses of trumpets as the priestly numbers increased, as those who were of the high priestly line increased. So by the time Solomon completed his temple, the Bible records in Second Chronicles 5, also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and salted in harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them about 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the house was filled with cloud, even the house of the Lord. So there was a 120 trumpeters by the time that Solomon's temple was finished. But here there are simply two trumpets, two silver trumpets. Now, the trumpets belong, of course, to the whole of the Old Testament dispensation. When everything about God and about his gospel was uh, delivered and carried and conveyed to the people by means of pictures and symbols in what we call types and shadows. They were foreshadowing Christ in his glory when he came in the gospel. So you have the offering of Christ at Calvary foreshadowed in the sacrifice of the animals on the altar. You have the intercession of Christ foreshadowed by the priesthood. You have the rule of Christ foreshadowed by the kings. You have the teaching of Christ foreshadowed by the prophets. And so the details also, as well as the big things, even the small details point forward to the greater light of the New Testament age. You have the Passover lamb. You have the scapegoat. You have the fire of the altar pointing to Calvary. You have laws of clean and unclean pointing to the requirement of a holy life. You have the garments of the high priest pointing to the glory and beauty of the Lord Jesus. In this way, when we come to Numbers chapter 10, we can ask and wonder, so what are the trumpets about? What do the trumpets mean? 
Because everything that was brought in, even under the Old Testament, meant something. It was there to teach the children of Israel about the fullness of the glory of the gospel of Jesus. The trumpets, then, are not just an insignificant thing we can pass over. They're given ten clear verses to themselves here in Numbers chapter 10. And not to mention the fact there's a whole festival given over to them known as the Feast of Trumpets. That's in Numbers 29, if you want to look it up later. Now, you might be aware that sometimes people point at uh, things like the trumpets of the Old Testament And they mock us for avoiding instruments in our worship. That's to miss the whole point. The silver trumpets were not given in Numbers 10, so 21st century Christians could worship and feel good about intruding all sorts of a band and so on into the worship of God. The trumpets are patterns and types and pictures of what's to come. They're not the thing itself. So you wouldn't expect still to see them now any more than now we'd expect to see someone bring a lamb before the service to be offered. That doesn't belong now. It's past. And the trumpets are in fact patterns, pictures, types, whatever word you want to use, of the gospel being proclaimed. That's what they're picturing. Isaiah calls it The great trumpet in Isaiah 27, verse 13. That's what it is. It's a great sound. The gospel is sounded like the trumpets when God's people gather together. And again, when they go out to conquer, it is not an uncertain sound. And by it, the people should prepare, prepare for battle, prepare for teaching, prepare for lessons, prepare for instruction. It is a an alarm to the world, but a warning sometimes to the church. The gospel is our most sure protection and our most gracious connection with the one great sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So I want us to look for our benefit at the silver trumpets this morning. The first point is the construction of the trumpets. Let's look at how they were made. And there are Two trumpets, and they are made of silver. We find that in the beginning of verse 2. Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them. Why two trumpets is not exactly certain. Some suggest it marks the message of the Old and New Testaments. Others see a, a connection to the two witnesses of Revelation. On a practical level, it may be simply that they were to be used by Aaron's two sons who remained, Eliezer and Ithamar. Perhaps the most useful comment we can offer on why there are two trumpets is that two in that regard are better than one. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. And so the gospel has always been a matter of fidelity, something that you can depend on, something that is backed up by the evidence, something that is there declared, but not simply on a whim, but is supported by the witness of God and his word. There are two witnesses. There's establishing of the truth of the gospel. It cannot be gainsaid. It stands. The sound is sure, 
the witness agrees. The gospel is, if you like, a double blast of the trumpet from God, possessed, therefore, of an innate authority in the world. And so the gospel, by its message, can command and instruct and demand. It can declare. It can announce. It has authority because it comes from God and it is true. And for that reason, therefore, friends, we should listen. Any of you here who are, particular, who are yet unsaved, friends, how we should listen. When God puts his silver trumpets to your ears, don't block your ears. Like, don't become deaf like the other. Remember, that's what they did when Stephen was declaring the gospel. When he blew the silver trumpet of the gospel just before he was martyred. Acts 7 says, And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And what happened next? Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Notice, they stopped their ears. They would not hear the message of the trumpet. Do not be like that, friend. If you are here today and you are perhaps very used to sitting under the gospel, but so often you go out as you come in and you don't hear anything. Now is not that time. Now is the time to open your ears to the message of the gospel. But there are also, you notice, silver. There are silver trumpets. And the gospel can be compared to silver. Silver is mined out. And the gospel is drawn from the inexhaustible mine of scripture. Notice the purity of the trumpets. They're made from a single piece. That is to say, there is no break in it. There's no joint. There's no division. The single gospel, there is only one gospel. There is one way of salvation, one silver note of grace from God to sinners. This is it. The message of Jesus is that sound. It is not another gospel. It is this one only. There are other gospels which are no gospels at all. There's the trumpet made not of silver, but of wood, hay, and stubble, of man's works and righteousness. It will be burnt up. There's a weak and pathetic, sickly gospel made of rotten chocolate that seems sweet at first because it declares you can do whatever you want. Don't worry about the life to come. But oh, how it rots your innards if you believe that gospel. It may seem sweet at first, but all oh, the bitterness of soul it breathes. There is only one pure silver gospel. It is highly valued. It is worth more than men will admit the value of the silver trumpets. Such briefly then for the construction of the trumpets. Secondly, the function of the trumpets. And here we begin from the second half of verse 2. That thou mayest use them. What is their function? For the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. There are two express functions given to us in the second half of verse 2 for the trumpets. The first is to call Israel together. And the second is to set Israel marching. To come in and to go out. The trumpets can be used for both. The same trumpets blowing will draw together and send forth. They will ingather, but also at times let loose the armies of Israel. 
Let's take the first of these functions first, illustrated for us in verse 3 and 4 and again in verse 7. The trumpet sounding which brings everyone together. When both trumpets blow a plain sound, the children of Israel were to gather together. The whole nation were to come. This would be for a special convention that God had called, or it may be for a set feast time. The trumpets were used in these instances to draw the people together. Their sound was not such as to sound an alarm. It was not to strike fear. It was not to uh, cause them distress, but to announce their time had come to gather. Now, the children of Israel knew that there were different sounds a trumpet made. It might not always have sounded that way to an outsider. If you were wandering through the wilderness of Sinai during this time, or one of the neighboring uh, nations around the promised land after they entered in, and you heard the trumpet sound, it may cause fear. The enemies of the people of God may expect from the sound of the trumpet, they're about to attack us. They might tremble at the very sound of it. But the children of Israel were taught to discern when the trumpet called them together for a feast and for a ceremony and for worship and for instruction, as opposed to an alarm sounding. And so too in the gospel. It may be for some, it always seems to be a sound to you of, of death unto death. It's a savor of death unto death to some and a savor of life unto life to others. Is that how it sounds to you? The gospel is always doom. The gospel is always leaving you trembling. The gospel is something you fear and dread because you're on the outside, friend. But if you are inside, how often that sound is in fact a call to gather. It is a joyful sound to the people of God. To the children of Israel, the true men and women of faith, not so. They discern the difference in tone. They hear their master's voice because my sheep know my voice. They respond to his call. They delight to hear him. And so by the gospel, Jesus draws his people together and builds us up in our most holy faith. By the declaration of his instruction and word, we are gathered. That's why we're here today. By the silver trumpet of grace, he exhorts us, he encourages his flock, he builds up his young, he restores his strays, he comforts his fretful, he blesses his beloved, he sweetens our journeys, he reassures us once more of his love and care and interest. And so our gathering together to hear the sound of the gospel is itself a precious thing, it's something we joy and delight in. We love the sound of the ingathering trumpet. Not always as, not often as organized as I intend to be. And uh, on a Saturday evening, I quite often end up still in the study past midnight. And I quite enjoy, I must confess now, noticing the clock change into the Lord's day. And as it were, welcomed into the arms of the Sabbath knowing that this is a day of the gathering of the Lord's people. It's a blessed day. It's a day to enjoy. And the sound, and even the anticipation of the sound of the gospel, is a sweet thing to the Lord's people. It reassures us. 
We love to be called to the feast of the gospel table. We love to hear that sound. We love to come into the fellowship of the saints. We love to have the praise of his name upon our lips. The second example of in gathering together is different because only a single trumpet is used. The first time everyone is called by two trumpets. A single trumpet is used to call together the princes of the tribes. There were times, especially during the wilderness years, when the tribal leaders needed to be called together so they could be given specific information on how to govern and rule and then to pass on information to their people. So they would be called to discuss some particular matter, to be consulted over some problem, or perhaps to be pre-warned about a difficulty or a danger that's about to approach them. So the single trump was a call to governance. God had put in place a sort of republic of 12 united tribal states, each with their princes and nobles who ruled, but they were still a single nation. And so from time to time, they would be called together in this way. But what you notice is that whether it's a calling of the whole nation together or a calling just of the leaders, they were all under the exact same authority. They were to respond to the trumpet call, the silver trumpet's call. The church, in like ways today, is governed in this manner. There are meetings and there are courts held in which it is the men who are in office who are summoned, whether a deacon's court or a court session or a presbytery or a synod or a general assembly. There are times when these men who have that responsibility and burden of office are called to be gathered together in Christ's name. They constitute their courts in the name of Christ. But they are not to meet to go their own way or do their own thing or come up with their own ideas. They're under the exact same authority as the whole churches. They're under the authority of Christ. They may do only what he commands and instructs. They are to be obedient to the call of the same silver trumpets of the gospel. So the trumpets are used to call together. But they're also used, as it were, to go out, to sound the advance and to issue the marching orders to the tribes. So verse 2 ends with, and for the journeyings of the tribes, of the camps. When we gather together under the gospel, and we hear the message, then what? Then we must go out with that message. Where do we go? How do we put it into practice? There's instruction in the gospel for that as well. One of the comedies, one of my favorite comedies, a man called John Gill. And he puts it like this. He says, they are of like use. Of like use is the ministry of the gospel. Saints are pilgrims and travelers here. They are passing through a wilderness. Their way is attended with many difficulties. Canaan is the place they're traveling to. And the gospel is the singular use of singular use to them, by the way, both to refresh them with its joyful sound and to direct them in the path in which they should go. So it calls us together, but it also sends us on. You see, at the first alarm, the tribes of the east go forward, then the tribes of the south. And there were three tribes in each direction based around the tabernacle when they were journeying in the wilderness. And then it's understood 
from there that each of the tribes would go out in their order after that. It's the same order that um, the, the tribes were grouped in and mentioned earlier in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 2, that assigned three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west. So they go in order. The first one sets off one group. The second alarm sets off the next, and so on. And they each move in order by the alarms of the trumpets. The trumpets are used to send them forth. And indeed, friends, it is just the same in the gospel age. The sound of the word of the gospel is our guide, taking us through this world, telling us where to go and when and how, always edging us ever closer to Canaan, to heaven. So the Christian is under authority, enlightening us as to the way that God would have us to go. We're not left to our own devices to wonder at will. We're not uh, independent of spirit in that way to make it up as we go along. We are not to have uh, one group of Christians under a particularly charismatic leader heading off this way and another group of Christians heading off another way. We are all of us in all our tribes, if you like, in all our congregations under the same sound. And we go together. And we wait for God to lead us not only to the Jordan River, but through it and on into Canaan. So the trumpets sounding are in these two groups. There's a gathering call when they call the and, and, and in the in the gathering call. There's two different ways. It can be both trumpets, which is for everyone. One trumpet, which is just for the leaders. But there's a call to gather, and then there's a an alarm call. And the alarm call is also of two different types. The first we've looked at, which is to lead forth, to set the Israelites on their course towards Canaan. But another type of alarm call is also here. It's a call to arms, a call to war in verse 9. And if ye go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets. Israel was to be in readiness to fight. And indeed, the Christian, too, must be ready to stand against the enemies of our king. But also to go forth and conquer in the great evangel of the gospel, in his name, to go forth. The Christian must be on a war footing to advance. Believers are called both to fight against the traps and the attacks of Satan against ourselves individually and collectively. But we are also to boldly advance with the good news of mercy and forgiveness to a broken world. We have something worth sharing and going out with. And that also is under the sound of the trumpet of the gospel. And this idea of an alarm to go forward in time of war and battle readiness is something that Amos mentions as well as Jeremiah. Amos says in verse uh, 6 of chapter 3, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city? And the people not be afraid. And Jeremiah in chapter 4 verse 19 says, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. Because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. It's often a fearful thing to be ready for war. And uh, still there's something eerie about 
what we know the uh, air raid sirens were, although we haven't heard them ourselves in a long time in our lifetime. But that warning of an enemy bracing to attack, that's part of what the trumpet is also for. It is to be ready for time of war. The function of the trumpets is to gather in, to build up, to instruct and to lead and to govern, but also to send out on a war footing, whether it is to defend against enemies who are attacking or to go, as it were, on the offensive to lead forward with the message of the gospel. So much then for the function of the trumpets. But thirdly, the protection of the trumpets. The construction, the function, the protection of the trumpets in verse 9. After talking about war, if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall bring an alarm with the trumpets. And ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Picture yourself for a moment in Jeremiah's shoes and time. Jeremiah was a late prophet who lived to see the destruction of Jerusalem and the beginning of the exile in Babylon. He's known for that reason as a weeping prophet. And he had long prophesied of the oncoming Babylonians and the destruction that the Lord had brought and would bring against Judah. Due to the sins of Judah, Jerusalem is now surrounded. The Babylonians are ready to strike. You're waiting every day for the attack when it will break through the gates of the city under siege. And then you hear it. The tension has been building for weeks. And then the sound, the alarm, the trumpets are blaring their alarm. The noise of those shrill trumpets confirming your every worst fear, sending shivers down your spine, causing your heart to sink. And for Jeremiah's time, it was really too late to blow the trumpets. He knew the people had long since forgotten about God. The trumpet was not blown in dependence on God at all. It was desperation and formality. But notice how the trumpets were given in verse 9. They were given as a defense as a promise of protection for the people of God in times of persecution and aggression against them. The sounding of the trumpets in time of war that we looked at in verse 9 already comes with this extended promise attached. We read, When ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. What a promise of protection that was. When the children of Israel entered into the land of promise and they settled the territory that was given to them by God and they toiled in the land and they caused it to bloom and to flourish, it would be envied. 
They would be coveted by her enemies. But Israel had always a secret defense, the sounding of the trumpets. And if you think so far, when the trumpet sounds, the whole nation hears. Or at times, it's particularly meant for the ears of the rulers. At times, no doubt, they were heard even by the ears of the enemies. But here we discover that there is another ear listening to the sound of the trumpet. It is the ear of God. Not only man or her enemies or Israel, but God himself heeds the sound of the trumpet and remembers his promises. That is not that he had forgotten them, but that he chooses to bring them forward to evidence that he is still holding fast to the promises he made to his people. This is what the church is to do. This is what the children of Israel were to do when there was an attack imminent, when our enemies were poised to strike. She was to sound the trumpets in dependence upon God. What does the church meant to do when she's attacked? What should the church do when she is persecuted? How should we respond to it? How should she negotiate with her enemies? She must sound the trumpet. She must preach the gospel unhindered, unabashed, unaltered. Have you ever wondered what Stephen was doing at what is known as Stephen's defense in Acts? If you read through it, here's a man in danger of losing his life, and he gives this oration, this speech, Stephen's defense. If you read it, you wonder, when's he going to get to the bit where he vindicates himself? And it's not there. He makes no effort, as it were, to vindicate himself. His concern is only to vindicate the message. And Stephen, to his dying breath, preaches the gospel, to his dying breath, sounds the trumpet. And he saw a window in heaven open and Christ ready to receive him because Christ remembered his promises of the sounding of the trumpet. This is what the church is to do when she's under attack, when she's under persecution. She's to trust in the trumpets that God will hear and God will remember. She's not to change the tone of the sound. She's to trust in the same message that she's always had. Under persecution, be faithful to the trumpets. Keep blowing the twin horns of mercy and grace, the grace of God Almighty. Declare it in the world, whatever opposition we face, whatever encounters we might have, whatever hard-heartedness we may come across. All friends, hold to this. Whatever distress, whatever weakness we feel has come into us, this is the same sound. It cannot be changed. It must not be changed. And indeed, in many ways, the preaching of the gospel to lost sinners, the declaration of Christ crucified is to sound a call to God himself to hear us and to remember us and to help us and protect us and to shelter us. And so ye shall be saved from your enemies, he says. Ye shall be saved from your enemies. It is the faithful church that is protected, that is under the shelter of his wings. When she holds fast to the sound of the message of the gospel, 
when she does not alter it, even when it is with trembling lips that she blows her trumpet of the gospel once more, afraid it will only bring down more animosity and hatred, she sounds it still. What are we by the gospel? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Christ. And as we have the picture of Revelation, the earth herself shall open her mouth to receive the flood of uh, hatred and enmity that pours out of the mouth of the dragon, trying to sweep away the woman. But she is protected because God instructs the earth to do so. The providence of this world are under the command of Christ as the king. And he hears when his church does not sound the gospel, but he also hears especially when she does. So the gospel call should also cause us to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because it is in faithfulness that these promises apply. And we have to examine ourselves if we are being faithful to the calling of Christ. And even if it seems it's the worst time in the world, but if the enemies are at the gates, as it were, if what we have to do is first repent and bow down and put ourselves in the greatest position of weakness possible and humble ourselves before God and cry for his mercy. That's why when Jeremiah heard the sound of the trumpets blowing, he dreaded it. Because it wasn't accompanied with any humility or returning to the Lord. Begin a moment this afternoon. I ask you to go and read in the book of Joel, one of the minor prophets near the end of the Bible. You'll find it easy enough. And Joel chapter two, especially there's not a, it's only three chapters. Read the whole book, but especially chapter two. And chapter two opens with an alarm. Joel 2 verse 1, blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. And there's a comment, a number of verses upon the effect of that alarm upon the people. But there's another trumpet midway through. But there's the other kind of trumpet. Remember, there's a two kinds. There's the one that's the alarm. And there's one that's the in-gathering call. And another call comes in the middle of the chapter in verse 15. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. How things change. Because they respond to the first call. And that second call is then followed by a beautiful prophetic promise. The promise of the day of Pentecost follows in Joel chapter 2, when God poured out his spirit, and your young men shall dream dreams, and your old men shall see visions. And Peter said that's what's fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The blessing that follows from the sounding of the alarm of the gospel. So the alarm of the trumpets when the people of God are attacked is also the protection of the church because then they are remembered in heaven. Finally and fourthly, the jubilation 
of the trumpets in verse 10. Uh, also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before God. I am the Lord your God. So the trumpets sound at set times in Israel. And what we have seen so far is, in fact, not the regular, but the special use of the trumpets. A special use is when you gather the whole nation together. Well, that's not going to happen every day. A special use is when you call the leaders together. That's also a relatively occasional thing. A special use is when you're under attack or when you're marching forward. These are special use cases for the trumpets to be blown. But the trumpets were, in fact, not just kept on a shelf and dusted down occasionally. They were used every day. This strongest association and the best connection of what the trumpets are for is, in fact, given us here in verse 10. And it relates to the worship of the tabernacle, particularly, and around the tabernacle. There were certain set ceremonies and feasts for the children of Israel. And there was also a set time that marked the beginning of each new month, of each new moon. And there were a constant stream of burnt offerings and peace offerings being offered before the Lord every day. And all these feasts also had associated offerings of burnt offerings and peace offerings with them. And it was in connection with all these offerings that the trumpets were most often used and blown. So the trumpets on these occasions were blown in order to declare and announce a sacrifice to God has been offered. The trumpet sounding every day was an indication that an offering had been made and that God accepted the offering. Even to those who went there, they would hear the sound of trumpets blowing. As today, on our Sabbath morning, we might hear the tolling of the church bells. And even those who don't go to church know the people of God are gathered in the worship of Christ. So the trumpets blew, announcing the sacrifices. I remember, in fact, your uh, minister, Mr. Craig, once saying the trumpets were the soundtrack of the sacrifices. I like that saying, the soundtrack of the sacrifices, which is exactly why we no longer use them along with any other instruments, because they go with the sacrifices. They're part of the typology. The sacrifices are no longer offered, so the trumpets no longer blow. But what they represent is still very much with us. And that's the more important thing. That fulfillment under the New Testament age, that still sounds out. And it sounds out in joy. It's a thing of jubilation to declare. Not an animal has been offered, but Christ. There has been such a full reconciliation that there never need be another sacrifice made again in all the history of the world. That one has been made once for all. God is appeased. He has turned from his wrath. He is embracing sinners and his son. It is a sound of joy. It goes on all the time. And so this sound, what does it do? This gospel, joyful, delightful sound, what does it do? Well, it gathers God's people together. And it sets the rules of governance for Christ's church. It calls his people to arms and to advance with her word of forgiveness to this world. And it readies her against the attacks of her enemies. But in every case, it says, Christ died. And God has accepted it. 
It's all about the sacrifice. It's all about the victory of Calvary, the accepted burnt offering of Jesus, giving himself wholly to the flame of the altar of God's wrath. And it being done. And also it's about the way Christ has made peace, reconciling God to sinners and sinners to God. He has made peace. We are reconciled. Oh, the peace offering. Peace is the message. Christ is the way. The trumpets sound in their jubilation. Use them on your days of gladness and on your solemn feast. Use them at every new moon. Use them over every offering uh, to the Lord, a peace offering or a burnt offering. Let it be known. Blaze it abroad, the Lord's message of mercy every day of your life. That's the jubilation of the trumpets. It's a good sound. It's a joyful sound. And here then, one last trump, as it were, for you here today yet unsaved. Unconverted friend, do you not hear the trumpet of the gospel? You've heard it so often before. You know the sound of it. But do you know its joy? Do you know the happiness of the trumpet call of Jesus? Do you know the delight it gives to every saved soul here? The Christ is still speaking to us, still calling us, still helping us, still leading us, still preparing us, still protecting us. Rejoice and be glad. There is a mercy in the gospel. Sing and dance. There is peace to be found. That's the trumpet call being made to you today. Listen to the tones of the sound. Listen to the happiness of the Lord's people under it. God makes his gospel sound sweetly for sinners here today. Come to the place of peace where there's a once and for all sacrifice that has been accepted for sinners. Put your hands upon that sacrifice, even Christ himself, and you will know the jubilation of these trumpets too. May he bless his word. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank thee for the fullness of Christ in his proclamations, in his revealing himself in this gospel. We thank thee for the one who calls us together and the one who governs us each day, for the one who prepares us to defend against the attacks of the enemy, but also who warrants us to go forward and forth with this great message of salvation and to do so with joy. Oh, what delight Christ is our sacrifice. Oh, we pray that we might lay hold upon him that any here yet unsaved might do so even now, that in the prayer of their heart they might claim Christ and seek to uh, know his mercy and forgiveness in their own lives and heart. Take away sin in his name. Amen.